our musicians. Thank you. Amen. Amen. I want to thank Ed and Nina for their sharing with us and blessing us, leading us into the presence of the Lord. I want to thank God for each one of you who is here today as we fellowship in this place God has designated as his house. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian, an Egyptian handmaiden or maid servant whose name was Haggai, or Hagar, Hagar, I'm sorry. So Sarai said to Abram, see now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please, please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. After Abram, Abram had dwelled 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when he saw that she, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. Let us pray. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and we bless you for all that you and all that you're going to do. We pray in Christ's name, amen. 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 So praise God for another day. Uh, we are grateful for all that he is doing and all that he is going to do. And uh, we don't have trash containers up here now, but that'll work. Amen. So we are believing God to continue to manifest himself in ways that we are clearly seeing his hand at work in the midst of this congregation. So we are yielded and still and allowing the potter to do what he chooses to do with the clay. Somebody say, he's the potter, he's the potter. and we are the clay. In a world that specializes in making the complex seem simple, Imagine if you and I had to understand the complexities of what makes our cell phone work in order to use it. Just think about that. If you had to understand the technological intricacies that are involved with using your phone. Most of us would never own a cell phone. Programmers know that 
if something is hard to figure out and they can't fix it and simplify it, they are soon going to be in the unemployment line. So they develop icons, YouTube tutorials, and visual prompts to help us handle complex things in the most simplified ways. Am I right about it? I'm impressed with what I just discovered that IBM's new computer chips can fit 30 billion transistors on your fingertip. Their ability to simplify something that is extremely complex, extremely technological, doesn't mean that it's simple because they've been able to reduce that many transistors to such a small size that they could literally fit on our fingertip. Sometimes we mistakenly minimize a complex, the complexity of something, because it's easy for us. It's easy for us. Uh, I remember my first date in Texas. I got, I had, rid, dri had not driven a car for over a year, but somebody decided to let me borrow their car. They said, just make sure you put gas in it. There was, this is before GPS. And if you're ever driving in Texas, they don't believe in street lights or highway lights. But any way, before I took the car home, date still in the car, I drive up to the gas station. I'm going to put it, fill it back up with gas. But I don't know where the gas tank is. Nor do I know how to unlock it. So I'm walking around the car about five or six times, and the gas attendant says on a megaphone, it's on the right side. It's on the right side. It's on the So I finally find it, but I don't know how to open it. So I, it's on the right side, but I don't know that you go inside the car and you have a gadget. With, so it was simple for the gas attendant but it was very complex and embarrassing for me on my first date. I have to admit, I did not make a very good first impression. There are other times when we think something is simple because how easy it appears when others are doing it. I can do that. If he can do it, I can do it. Not necessarily. Arrogance is so dangerous because it makes us think that we understand things we really don't. Some things are very complex, but because we are so full of ourselves, we think, I can figure it out. I got this. No, you don't. Uh, your Google search does not qualify you to give a master's class on cosmetic surgery or worse, perform surgical, a surgical procedure on some desperate person trying to feel better about themselves. You don't get to do a master's class because you did a, re, a, a search on Google. I actually got something, uh, somebody sent me an invite to uh, a seminar that a pastor is offering, how to make you a millionaire, and all you need to do is pay $997 per person and they'll make you a millionaire. My immediate response was to the person who sent me, 
how many millionaires are teaching the course? The only thing that qualifies them to teach the course is you're a schemer trying to become a millionaire off of my dime. If I pay, if enough people pay you $997, you will be a millionaire and everybody else will be $997 short. How does somebody who's not a millionaire have the qualifications to tell you how to do what they don't do or have? How arrogant is that? But that class is going to be full. It'll be full. You might not pay your rent, but you're definitely going to be out to figure out how to make yourself a millionaire. Unqualified, simple people can complicate your life when, they under, when you underestimate the potential consequences. Simple-minded people can complicate your life when you take the risk of not thinking through, if I go through with this, this, could, this person telling me to quit my job, go buy a van, start a business, empty my bank account, because the Lord told them to tell me. Simple person telling you to do something that's very complex, that totally up, up, puts your life in an upheaval, and you actually do it. But don't make this mistake to think that you can go to that person and ask for help to pay your rent when you don't have a job. Now, how many of you know that everything is not black and white? You can't just kiss everything up to God and put a ribbon on it. I give a nice Bible verse and you're going to be okay. Okay, baby, John 3.16. Okay, baby, uh, uh, all things work together. You should lie in there with the knife in your back. All things work together. Y'all know you hungry. You said you ain't eaten three weeks. I'm going to pray for you. Oh, my goodness. Let me just raise, lay hands on you right now. No, give me a tasty cake pie. Then pray for me. <laughs> Everything's not black and white. It wasn't the tip of the iceberg that sunk the Titanic. It was what was beneath the surface. Life is complex. It is not simple. And if you want to understand why we do, not just how, why other people do, we don't even know or understand ourselves. Why we do what we do sometimes. I wasn't, why did I say that? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I the only one who uh, say stuff that you, you'd have to try to reel back in? It's not that simple. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, we read, the purposes of a person's heart are like deep waters. But one who has insight, one who has wisdom, one who has a counseling gift can draw it out. It takes wisdom to be able to help to pull out of people what they don't even know is there. They're trying to figure out why they're treating symptoms. We live in a society that treats symptoms, the tip of the iceberg. But a wise counselor can look beneath the surface and understand the complexities and help you to develop a way out. To understand people, we need supernatural wisdom. I was reminded of this when I heard 10 days ago about the, the attack of Hamas on Israel. It made no sense 
why over a thousand innocent Israelis, Israelites, people from the nation of Israel, were brutally, savagely, horrendously butchered and killed. In fact, at least 290 of them were at a peace concert in the desert, and they were just gunned down. Uh, some families who were in their cars with their children, their cars were set fire, and they watched them burn to death in their cars. It made no sense. In response, Israel rightfully declared war to protect itself against its enemies who exist for the sole purpose of exterminating Israel. There are countries like Iran, Hamas, and other terrorist groups who exist for the sole reason to see Israel extinct, to commit genocide and eliminate the world of Israel by any means necessary. Now, unfortunately, most of the people that did not participate or support this, the barbaric acts of Hamas are caught in the middle. So now we have thousands of Palestinians who have lost their lives, and millions of them now who are displaced, fleeing for their lives. Some are starving. Some are without food because of the acts of those who they chose as their leaders who are heads of terrorist groups who exist, again, for the sole purpose to see every Jewish person wiped off of the face of the earth. Now, before we jump into conclusions, or you jump into conclusions about whose side I'm on, I'm on God's side. Let me just say that. I'm on God's side. Let me state what may seem simple to some is really complex. Say it's, it's complicated. As we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 16, we're going to discover that the events that, occur, that are occurring in Gaza started 10 days ago. The battle over the land between Israel and pa the Palestinians didn't start 10 days ago, but 3,500 years ago. And it started because of disobedience, of disobedience of Abraham and Sarah going against the word of God has brought about consequences in the conflict that we see in Gaza between the Palestinians and the Israelites to this very day. How many of you know decisions that you make in your life can impact generations? God said to David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, he said, the sword shall never leave your house. I'm going to restore you. You're going to be king again. And God actually called David even after his sin of adultery and having Uriah killed. He said, David is a man after my own heart. But the sword never left David's home. There are generational consequences for bad choices. And so today, I want to look at this very complicated conflict that is going on because one of the things that we, as you study eschatology, the doctrine of future things in the Bible, the key of understanding how God is unfolding what is happening in the world is the nation of Israel. As the nation of Israel goes, so does God's chronological clock for un 
folding and releasing in the world the things that are yet to happen in the world by way of things that we understand, the rapture, the, tri the tribulation, the millennial reign, and things of that nature. All of that is contingent upon what is happening in a small country that's about the size of New Jersey that will impact what God is doing in the future. So there are three things that I want to consider with you. First of all, I want, to, I want you to consider the, prop, the promise of God, the promise of God. Why does God call Israel his chosen people? What makes them any different from anybody else? And in answering that question, we'll find in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, I'm going to read just a portion of Scripture, and I'm just touching the surface. There's no way that we're going to figure this out. We're not going to figure this out. Why? It's complicated. Somebody say it's complicated. Amen. But, but, but what we do know, I want to share that with you today to help you to understand, because what is happening there is so volatile that it actually has the potential of, of igniting World War III. That's why people around the world are terrified of what could happen. When you think about in the 21st century that people, people can be so barbaric, severing children's heads off, burning people alive, dragging women into the it's just It's just unimaginable. All of us would be in therapy if we lived in that part of the world. And so this is impacting everybody why we have a Congress that can't choose a leader. We, 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 we in a crazy place, y'all. You better join the first 15 because the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hands of God and it is like rivers of water that he turns wherever he chooses. The heart of the king, heart of leaders is in God's hands and he turns it as rivers of water, just like they can't get it together, all we need to do, if my people will call by my name, we need to just get serious about praying and God can move. So in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we're going to first look at the promise that God made to Abraham when he was 75 years old. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father, your household, to a land which I will show you. I'm not telling you where you're going. Just get up and go in the direction I'm telling you to go. It took faith for Abraham to respond, and he did. Now, verse 2, I will do what? I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who what? Bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all people on earth will be blessed through who? Through you, who? Abraham. Now, there are three observations that I want to make about that promise. We're talking, answering the question, why does God call Israel his chosen nation? The first thing that we want to observe is that God didn't choose a nation when he made the promise to make a great nation. He chose a person. He said, Abraham, I'm choosing you and through you, I am going to birth a great nation. And so God chose a man, and through that man's obedience, there would result an offspring that God said would become great. So God didn't choose Israel 
to be his chosen nation. He chose a man through whom the nation, when God called Abraham, the nation of Israel did not exist. It did not exist. The nation would be birthed through one man, Abraham's obedience to God, as an example made, as an example, his, the nation through his obedience would be great. And by the way, when you think about God choosing the one man, Abram, who later was called Abraham, the friend of God, there was nothing special about Abraham. In fact, in the book of Joshua, verses 24, chapter 24, verses 2 through 3, he says that Abraham's father, Terah, and Abraham were worshipers of idols. They worship other gods. So why did God choose Abraham? Because he wanted to, and he can, because God is sovereign. He can do what he wants to do, to whomever he wants to do, and whenever he wants to do it. So God is sovereign. But the point is he chose Abraham, not because there was anything special about Abraham. But he said, Abraham, I'm going to make an unconditional promise to you. The condition, well, there's a condition part of it. Abraham, if you're obedient to me, you go where I tell you to go. I'm going to make through your seed a great nation. And so the nation of Israel became God's chosen people through the choice that God made to pick Abraham. So God picked Abraham before there was an Israel as a nation to be the father of that nation. Does that make sense? God chose one man. He didn't choose the nation. He chose Abraham. To be the father. God chose Israel as his special people in the world because of his unconditional promise to his unconditional promise to Abraham. Listen to what God says in verse, um, verse uh, chapter 13, verses 1, uh, 14 through 15. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had departed from him, he said, look around where you are to the north and to the south and to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. The better passage is in, in, in Genesis chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, where God says, I'm making an everlasting covenant with you to your descendants. I am giving the land. And then he specifies the land that he's going to give them in the land of Canaan. So the land where they're fighting over, God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham. And he said, no matter what's going on with Israel, I'm giving them this land because I made a promise to you. God made a promise, and so the land is Israel's because God promised it to them. God promised it to them, and how many promises does God keep? He keeps all of his promises. So that's the second thing. God's promise to Abram is unconditional, but the experience of the full benefits require obedience. So the unconditional promise is, I'm giving you this land because of my covenant with Abraham. The land will always be yours. But the blessings of the land is dependent upon your obedience. If you're not obedient, you will suffer consequences. And what we see throughout history, Israel was constantly being taken into captivity because they did not obey God. Let me share a couple verses with you uh, from uh, the book of Deuteronomy. The Lord, here's the promise that the Lord makes. The Lord will establish you as a holy people as he promised you on oath, if you keep the commandments of the Lord, your God, and walk in obedience to them, then all the people on the earth will see that you are called by my name, the Lord, and they will fear 
The Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground. Here it is. In the land he swore to you and your ancestors. God said, I'm going to bless you if you're obedient. The land that I promised to Abraham, I'm going to bless you while you live there. But here's the, the, the second part of it in Deuteronomy chapter 28, beginning in verse 15. However, if you do not obey the Lord your God, and do not carefully follow all of his commandments and decrees. I, will, I am giving you today all these curses will come on you and overtake you. And so one of the curses that will come and overtake them, God was going to take the land back. And so Israel has been in Egypt as slaves. Israel has been in places like Russia and Germany, you name it, because of their disobedience. But the land remained theirs even though they weren't living on the land because of God's unconditional covenant that he made with Abraham. The promise was the land of Canaan. Then God specifies the territory that that included. Are you with me? Now, the promise, the second part of this is the promise of the offspring is reaffirmed. So God said, I'm going to bless your seed. The seed would be blessed through Abraham and Sarah that the child that would be born that would start the nation that would ultimately become Israel was going to be birthed through Abraham and Sarah. Remember I said Abraham was 75 when God made that promise. Ten years later, Sarah is 75, Abraham is 85, no babies. The word of the Lord came to him uh, and because Abraham said, well, I'm, Ten years later, I'm still in the land. I'm going where you told me to go, Lord, but I don't have any evidence that you're going to make a great nation through me. And so he chose his servant, Eleazar, and said, well, I'm just going to give him the inheritance and my nation will be, the nation will be made great through Eleazar, Eleazar. And God said to Abraham, he says, then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir, but a son who is in your own flesh and blood will be the heir. The child was going to be birthed through Abraham and Sarah. Now, the interesting thing, as you study this, the lives of Sarah and Abraham, another 15 years pass before they have a child. Sarah's 90, and Abraham's a young 100. But they ran out of patience. God was taking too long. And so the promise that was delayed became a problem. God promised Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you land that is unconditionally yours and will be the descendants' land. And they will be able to enjoy the full benefits of it as long as they'll be. Those are the promises. But the problem comes in when we get to Genesis chapter 16. Let's look at Genesis chapter 16. Now, Sarai, now, Abram's wife was what? She had him no children. After 10 years, she was still barren. So the first problem we see here was what God said did not match what Abram and Sarah saw. Her biological clock was running, and things have not only moving towards shutting down, she was past that part of the season in her life. She was, not only did God close her womb, but she had gone beyond menopause. She ain't having no babies. 
And so she's looking at God said, the Bible says that God will give me the desires of my heart. That Jesus said, I come to give you life and give you more abundantly, but I don't have a job. I ain't happy. I ain't got no man. I ain't got no woman. And my life ain't going nowhere anywhere fast. I'm still living at home. And, you know, I, my car don't work. I, I had a car that came and got it. So what God said doesn't always match what we see. And so that's the first problem. The question is, what are you looking at? What has God said to you that has been delayed? What have you been praying about, or what did you believe again? What, what was your dream 10 years ago? Where did you see yourself by now? And how have you responded because what you believed and you thought it was from God doesn't now match what you see? I mean, you spoke it, you prayed over it, you declared it, you decreed it, you put oil on it, you put scriptures all around the house. Scripture's done dried up. <laughs> and you feel dried up. That's what was going on with, 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 with Sarai, because the, the greatest thing that a woman could experience after being married was to be able to say that she was a mother. Anything less than that meant that she was somehow inferior to other women. So the inability to have a child in the nation of Israel was, was paramount to, you were you cursed. What did you do to God? God said, I'm going to have a child. You know, my, my husband prophesied this. He told me that the Lord said, we're going to be the mother and father of a great nation. And that was 10 years ago, and here we are. Come on, come on. What has God not brought to pass in your life? What have you decided? I ain't praying about that no more. What have you decided? You know what? I tried it that way. I'm going to, my girls got somebody, they dating. <laughs> they get to go to Cancun and Dubai, and I ain't going nowhere. And people paying for it. But I'm keeping myself pure. So what we see doesn't always match what God says. And when it doesn't, it can be a problem. Am I the only one? Is it me? All right. Here's a second problem. The, problem, the second problem was that they decided, decided to handle the problem without God. We got this. God obviously needs some help. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me help God out. And so can you imagine somebody being so desperate, so lonely, so insecure, feeling so insignificant, so uh, much like she's not a real woman, that she literally says, honey, take this woman, and you have sex with her. Right here, here it is. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, see, now the Lord has restrained me. She recognized that it was God bearing children. Please, please, oh, my goodness, please go in, have sex with my maid. Perhaps she can be a surrogate mother. Now, back in this time, uh, uh, social, sociologically, it was acceptable for people who were wealthy to have servants who really had no rights, and they could be used for surrogate parenting. If the, bio, if, the, if the wife could not have children, she could give the woman to the husband. 
and the spiritual Abraham, the, the father of the faithful, uh, you know, left off to follow God, said, yep, <laughs> I volunteer for that. I, I volunteer for that. <laughs> Young Egyptian woman, my wife says it's okay. It's okay. How bad must Sarah have felt about herself to actually offer another woman to her husband to have a child? How bad do you want something that God has chosen not to give you? Has it hurt you enough that you find yourself depressed? Have it hurt you enough that you find yourself on dating lines? Are you on, you're on your, you're not hook up dates to people, anybody that will say, give you attention? Are you that desperate for what you think you need that you're willing to go as far as Sarah did? Take this woman and have sex with her. And perhaps, now, I, I, this ain't, it ain't carnal. This ain't out of church. This is, I'm going to make this, I'm going to put some, put some Bible up on this. Perhaps God, let me throw God's name in this. Perhaps God will bless me through her to have a child that God said, I was the one I'm going to have. How many of you know it's never right? There's never right reason to do wrong. It's never right to do wrong. You don't know how I feel. You don't know what I went through. You ain't never went through this. You ain't never been by yourself. I know what it means to be by myself. God knows why he is delaying what you think you have to have before you come apart. God knows that if you got it, you're not ready for it. You're not ready for it. He's prepared. The problem is the problem is the promise is already fulfilled in the mind of God. It's done. We call that the prophetic past. It's already complete. If God said it, it's settled because it, it, if he promised it, it has to happen. He cannot go. The question is, did he say it? If he said it, it must happen. That's what you got to figure it out. This is where you got to start. Did God say it? Or did you just dream it? After that bad pizza. <laughs> they desperately want a trial, child. And what do we do when we're in pain? What do you do to relieve your pain when you're really feeling bad? You don't know how to get. What is your, what is your drug of choice? Oh, I never do drugs. You don't phone and just drug up the phone with your gossip. You feel so much better now, don't you? <laughs> you done said everything that you should never say. You done went to somebody that you shouldn't have gone to. There's a reason you keep that bottle in your refrigerator. It's not to settle your stomach. What do you turn to when you're in so much pain that you don't see things getting better? You just, and we, we know what, who wants to feel pain? You're not going to keep your hand over the fire. You're going to move it. You're going to keep hitting your head. You're going to go another way. So when we're in pain, the, the character test is, what do you turn to to relieve yourself of your pain? What do you turn? She turned to, I'm going to make something happen here. I'm going, God, you just sit aside here. I got this. I, you know, I'll come. When, when we're done, then you bless our mess. 
how you're going to deal with the temporary pain, what you're willing, what you, what you willingly do to feel better in the moment can wreck your life for generations, for generations. We have to be honest that we're in pain. When you're depressed, when you're down, anybody will get depressed and down? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When that happens, you need to have, you, you need to already have some preemptors, some, some, some ways of escape so that you don't turn to things that will satisfy you temporarily but leave permanent consequences. Now, the scripture says, for our light momentary troubles are achieving for us eternal glory. When I allow myself to go through, when I allow myself to wait on the promise of God to happen, he's going to bring it to pass. He's going, and that's, we, we didn't need to be able to say that. Said, the, Bible said, the power of life and death in the tongue. What are you saying to yourself when you're in pain? What are you saying to yourself when you change that calendar again? It's another year, another day. What are you saying to yourself? If God said it, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it is impossible to please God without faith because he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Don't think that you'll receive anything from God if you don't come to him believing that he will keep his promises. And sometimes all you have to hold on to is that he did it before. He did it before. He did it before. And it's the way God works. It may not be when we want it to happen. But he was always on time. He did it before. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. He'll do it. That's my sermon. I was listening to uh, Sister Allen. I got me a couple sermons out of the stuff you were saying. Yeah, truth test. Truth test. You'll hear that. You'll hear that. I'm listening. When I'm hearing people get up and talk. I'm trying to get me a sermon. And I praise the Lord. I'm a preacher. I'm going to get me a sermon. I was there. He'll do it again. He will do it again. They try to help God out. They try to help God out. What are you doing to help God out that temporarily make, make you feel? You're feeling better. Oh, you're feeling better until you realize, I did that again. I said I would never do it, but here I am again, Lord. Here I am again. I want you to understand that God has a remedy for your pain. Jesus said, if you had come to me, the woman, in, in, in John chapter 4, Jesus met her at the well of Jacob, and she said, well, and she said, give me, he said, if you, he said, give me a drink from your, from, your, from, from your cup. And she said, wait a minute, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew, and I'm from Palestine. And Palestinians and Jews don't, 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 don't share cups. First of all, you're a rabbi. What you doing in Samaria? Jesus said, if you had asked me for a drink. I would have given you a, a drink of living water. I would give you something that will satisfy your deepest need so that you'll never thirst again. He's our problem solver. He'll give you what you need when you hurt the most in such a way that you're totally content. We just need to learn how to turn to him in that way. Are you still with me? Now, here's the penalty. So we see the promise. I'll make you, I'm going to make through you, Abraham, a great nation. Israel did not exist until God called Abraham and he gave birth to his first son, Isaac. And through his obedient example, the nation followed suit. And then God says in Exodus chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, you are a peculiar people. You are my chosen nation. 
because they walked in obedience. I'm going to give you land. You will experience the full benefit of the land if you, if you, are, if you walk in obedience. If you don't, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to curse you. A lot of what's happening to Israel is the result of disobedience. Majority of Jews do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. They're still looking for Messiah. They're still, they, they reject Jesus as Messiah. So let, let, me, let me quickly, here's, some penal, here's the penalties for handling family problems our own way, and here's where the conflict comes in. Look at verses 4 through 6. So he went into Hagar, he had sex with her, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her sight. <laughs> Can't even have a child. Ain't <laughs> no real woman. I see Abraham rubbing her stomach, going getting her pickles late at night. Going to get her, you want chocolate chip ice cream or you want vanilla ice cream? Nah, I don't want that. He went and got the chocolate chip. Then he got to go back, get out of the bed with Sarah, go get the, this old joker got to be running all around trying to take care of this young woman. <laughs> <laughs> and Sarah's watching this. The Bible says that Hagar despised Sarah. I should be his first wife. I should be living, I should be sleeping in that bed, not you. I'm carrying his child, not you. So Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I know I got just like Adam and Eve. Eve said, see, the, the, the devil came to Eve and tripped at her, and, 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 and uh, 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 Adam basically said, loving you wrong, I don't want to do right. So he followed his wife. Here Abraham is following his wife Sarah. He, he knew what God said. Instead of telling his wife, no, we're going to wait on God, he said, let's wait to see if God changes mind. So she said, so so she said, look, my wrong. I made the choice, but you in charge. You the spiritual cover. You're supposed to be the, the one who's the, 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 the guard, the, the protector of our home. Look what you led into our house. My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid to your embrace. You weren't supposed to enjoy her. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. She can't stand me. She's looking down on me. The Lord judge between you and me. We done, brother. You done wrecked our house. And Abraham said, Sarah, here we go again. Indeed, your, your maid mm -hmm, is in your hands. Sarah didn't sleep with Hagar. He did, but it's your maid. Do to her as you please. And when Sarah dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now, here are the consequences. Friction in his home. Sarai was just beside herself. I ain't tolerating this. I'm not going to. In fact, I'm gonna, he, she became abusive towards Sarai. Confrontation was in her house. Sarah stepped to Abraham. Yeah, I know what God says, respect and all that, but look what you've done in our marriage. So she confronts, so now you got confrontation. Then there's retaliation. She abused Hagar. So Abraham said, whatever you choose to do, you want to get rid of her? You want to beat her? This is, this is the father of the faithful operating in weakness. And that's why it's so dangerous, brothers, that we don't give in to the emotions of the moment. Even when our wives are upset, we still have to stand for what God has said. And he's simply saying, well, whatever you choose to do, I just get, go along to get along. 
Just call me when it's over. Do we still have a house? Did they come and get it yet? Should I come home now? Tell them I'm not home. Now let's pray. No, you ain't going to tell your wife, let's pray, let's go to church. When you done had her lying for you, sicked her on the hounds. So she's retaliating. And Abraham's not challenging her about it. So the, the penalty is that now he's got hell in his house. When we don't do it God's way, when we respond to problems in, 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 in ungodly ways, we bring hell home. We bring hell home. So it's retaliation, there's confrontation, and then there's separation. Hagar flees. How many of you know you can live under the same roof with a person and be separated from them? It's coexisting, tolerating each other. There's no love. There's no commitment. There's no relationship. And the only time that the two sit together is when you come to church. When you're home, you don't speak. You don't talk. You don't look at each other. Oh, God, kind of quiet up here. <laughs> what did I do? What did I say? Am I in the wrong church? <laughs> this, if I'm in the right church, somebody say, ouch. So they so separation occurs. There's a separation between Abraham and Sarah is that they they are they 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 are at odds because Abraham agreed to do something he shouldn't have done, and now his wife is hurt and she's she's embarrassed and she's feeling disrespected and feeling unloved and unprotected and all of the things. And then Hagar said, "I'm out of here." So she's fully pregnant and she takes off running towards the desert. She's homeless, no financial uh, resources, and she's running and she's depressed. And while she's running, the Bible says that the angel of the Lord spoke to her, and he asked the question, where are you and why are you here? And then she said, the angel knew where, why she was there and where she went after her. But the, the Lord doesn't begin to minister to Hagar until she can acknowledge that she's got an issue, that she's hurting, that she needs help. And he said, this is what's happening to me. And so there's separation. There's separation. When we do it God's way or don't do it God's way, there's going to be separation. Now, here's the, here's the issue. Here's the complication. There's separation. There's confrontation. There's retaliation and all that, but then there's what's rep replication. That's what we're dealing with today, the replication of the sin of handling problems without God. Abraham and Sarah's sin has generational consequences. The seed of Isaac and Ishmael are warring over the promised land to this very day. The child that was born through Hagar is the father of the Arab nation called Palestine. The father of, and so what, what the Lord said, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, the father of the Arab nation. The Lord has heard you. That's, the, that's what the name Ishmael means. He knows your misery. He, and here's what's going to happen. Here's the prof prophecy about Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will have hostility towards all of his brothers. Ishmael and Isaac are brothers. The Palestinians and the Arabs, uh, the Arabs and Israel, 
They're brothers. They're from the same father. But, but Isaac is the son of promise. Ishmael is the son of disobedience. And so God said to the son of promise, even though Abraham went against my word, I can't break my promise. I promised him that he would have through his descendants land throughout forever. That, that promise can't be broken. But when sin entered into, now we got a disruption because the Palestinians, the Arabs, believe that the same land that God promised to Isaac through Abraham belongs to them. And so what Israel does with the land that God promised them, it just gives Palestine a very small portion of it. And there's resentment about that. And so the conflict started way back in Genesis chapter 16 because Abraham decided, I'm going to get, I'm going to have me, I'm going to go with her because my wife's giving me permission instead of saying, I'm going to go with what God says. The choice to disobey God is why they're fighting today. It's come. These are two brothers. Same origin. One exists for the total extinction of the other. But the promise of God has not been revoked. Israel still is promised the land. Now, how should we handle complicated family issues that resulted from sin? How do we handle this? How do you watch what's going on in the news? And Israel says to the Palestinian people, you have, you have six hours for six for, for 1.1 million people to, 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 re, to, to, to depart or to flee. Where are they going before you start bombing? And then you see the pictures of children and women just blown into, you know, just blown into all kinds of, uh, just the bodies thrown all over the road. Palestinian women. And Israel, what do you say? How do you respond to that? Here's the first thing that we need to do. Refuse to be the judge and the jury. The Bible says, do you not know in the same way that you judge others, you're going to be judged? We cannot come to the final conclusion because it is complicated. There's a whole lot involved. On the one hand, if Israel doesn't get rid of Hamas, who, who the Palestinians chose to be their political leaders, then this will happen again. How many of you know it matters who you choose to lead us? It matters that now that this former president is not president anymore, I can go to sleep at night. I don't have to wake up. What has he done now? Leadership matters. So they choose, they chose to follow Hamas, and now Hamas is using people as a, as a human shield, telling them not to leave, let the bombs fall, and you become a martyr for the sake of, of Palestine. And then the world looks at Israel like they're monsters. So first thing, refuse to be the judge and the jury. We don't have all the facts. But we do know the promise. Remember the promise. Go back to Genesis. God promised. Genesis chapter 17. Read the promise. It's unconditional. It's a covenant between Abraham and, and, and Israel. That, didn't, that never changed. Remember, Ishmael is still somebody's child. But Israel, through the promise made to Abraham, is God's chosen. Those babies that are dying, it don't matter if they're Palestinian or Israel, those are somebody's babies. They didn't ask for this. They don't deserve what's going on. 
They're somebody's children. They're someone's children. Now, the scripture tells us to pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Israel. Here are the two things that you need to pray for when it comes to Israel. The first thing is that we need to pray for Israel's salvation. Look at Romans chapter 10. Paul said, if I could, I would give up my own salvation so that the Jews who have rejected Christ. Jesus is the chief cornerstone that the builders rejected. He came unto his own, but they received him not. He was in the world, but the world. The Jews as a nation through their leadership decided he is not our Messiah. They're still looking for a Messiah. So the first thing that you need to pray for is the salvation of the nation of Israel. The second thing that we need to pray for is the safety of the nation of Israel. Because God says, whoever blesses Israel, I want to bless them. Pray from the very beginning when God made the promise back in Genesis chapter 3 about his seed that would be born in the world through the wound of a woman. Satan has tried to extinguish from the face of the earth the seed of God that would ultimately bless the world. Israel has always been on the, on, 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 on the, on the, on the chart of the world to, for distinct its extinction. From the very beginning, starting in Genesis 3, then when you go to chapter 6, the Nephilim who had sex with women, and the angels came and had sex with women, and the offspring were giants. Again, Satan's attempt to distort the human line to prevent the birth of Messiah. Then you have in chapter 11, the building of the Tower of Babel to keep the world from expanding, as God said, again, preventing the birth of Messiah, going into chapter 12, where God chooses Abraham, and through the seed of Abraham, he said, all of the nations will be blessed, because Messiah comes through Jews, through the Jewish nation. But throughout history, mankind has been trying to destroy and prevent what God wants to do through the nation of Israel. Somebody say amen. So two things, we're praying for salvation, we're praying for safety. Here's the third thing, we're almost done. Resist giving simplistic answers for complex problems. When Israel, the Bible says, it's righteousness exalt the nation, but sin bringeth reproach. We should support Israel when they are righteous. But when they are being wicked, we're going to do just like God did. God said, I'm going to curse you. We're not going to send funds when, when, when the leader is corrupt and should be in jail. So there are times when you, you always are praying for Israel's safety. You're always praying for their salvation, but you're not sending checks to their wickedness. God does not command us to support Israel blindly. He, he said, I'm married to you, but you are idolaters. You, are, you have turned, your, you're turned from me, and when you turn from me, I'm going to discipline you. And so we cannot bless what God is disciplining. Are you stay, still with me? Resist the giving simplistic answers. Don't support Israel or anybody when they're sinful. We need to pray for the Palestinians, and we need to pray for Israel, and we also need to read and apply the Bible. We need to say read and apply. Stay with me. Stay with me. It's complicated, but it, the, the reason why it, the way it is, and we're gonna, before we do, they're going to ask, ask Cotty if she would come forward. We're going to pray for her before she leaves. I'm going to ask her to come forward. And as she's coming forward, just stand right there. This is her last Sunday with us. Amen. 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 And we.